Hi, and welcome to Listen Up A-Holes, the only Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that is half human, so the 50% of us that's stupid is 100% you. I'm story expert Lonnie Diane Rich of Chipperish Media. And I'm Joshua Unruh, superhero scholar from Pulp Diction Productions. Together, we're working our way through the good, the bad, and the hitherto undreamt of of the MCU. <laughs> so listen up, A-Holes. We're going to talk about Avengers Infinity War. Lonnie, look at this, right? It's Infinity War. It's <laughs> Infinity know. War. Yeah, 10 oh years, God. more than 20 yeah. movies, thousands of hours of television later, and here we are finally, finally talking about Thanos the Mad Titan. <laughs> hey, look at us, huh? Who would have thought? Yeah, we made it. Not me. <laughs> we made it. Not me. That's right. Even though it's not until later that we're doing another Paul Rudd offering. I'm still going to yes. make that Paul Rudd reference. So, Thanos. <laughs> Thanos, the most neglected villain to have ever propped up 20-some movies. Right. Because they really should have started fleshing this cat out earlier. But that's a oh, conversation yeah. for mm-hmm. the movie. Let's talk about 616 Thanos. Mm-hmm. Originally appearing in the Invincible Iron Man number 55, cover dated mm-hmm. February of 1973. Thanos was created by Jim Starlin when Starlin combined some Psych 101 stuff he had literally just <laughs> learned in college and a couple of Jack Kirby's New Gods. Uh-huh. Now, those of you in the know are assuming that I am talking about the almighty dark side, the living idea of evil. But mm-hmm. you'd be wrong. Initially... <laughs> Thanos in his little flying chair looked a lot more like Metron, who is the living idea of smug douchebaggery. (laughs) Roy Thomas insisted that Thanos be beefed up, and Starlin admits that he enjoyed beefing Thanos up so much that he kind of just kept on doing it. (laughs) Which is how Thanos stopped being more like Metron and started looking more like Darkseid. And all uh-huh. of that makes total sense to people who also read superhero comics. And you're just like, what the fuck ever, man? No, I, you know, I trust your references. <laughs> no, I know you do. I know you do. And someday in the not too terribly distant future, all of this is going to make some kind of sense to you. Because, again, mm-hmm. we're catching up on movies and then we're going to read some comics. But that's for later. All right. All right. So Thanos himself is basically the cosmos's most prolific serial killer. Oh, God. He was born deformed on Titan, the moon of Saturn. Mm -hmm. The Titanians are themselves Eternals, which I am not going to get into now because there's a big ass movie coming up. (laughs) Save that for later. Right. And I know I've said that a few times because we've had celestials Mm -hmm. that aren't really celestials like Ego and, you know, the collector Mm -hmm. is an elder of the universe and stuff like that. But so Mm -hmm. I know that I've danced around this, but the movie is coming. Here is the shortest of short versions of what you need to know about Eternals for the purpose of Thanos. Mm-hmm. The Celestials made immortal, powerful, beautiful beings from proto-humanity on ancient prehistoric Earth, and they mm-hmm. called themselves the Eternals. Okay. The Celestials also created a monstrous and constantly mutating species from proto-humanity on ancient Earth and called them the Deviants. Uh-huh. Thanos had deviant genes. 
And so he was the only hideous thing on all of Titan. Oh, wow. He started out a sweet, brilliant, pacifist little boy. (laughs) Oh, no. But then he was maybe manipulated for his entire life by the personification of death into becoming an intergalactic warlord and mass murderer. Wow, that's some serious daddy issues. Well, okay, but wait, remember, death is a Mm -hmm. woman in the 616. Oh, okay, so mommy issues. Um, she appeared to him as a child when he was a child Uh and grew up with him. So it was actually more of the usual unrequited love nonsense, you know. Oh, But hold on. Hold on. Here's the trick. Or alternately, all of that is a figment of his imagination. And he was always as crazy as everybody said he was. The story leaves it a bit ambiguous. And I don't really approve if I'm honest. (laughs) <laughs> because All right, so does death only show up in that form for him okay that's the trick right so right. so that story the story that gave us the first real origin of thanos now we'd heard a lot mm-hmm. about him and we knew who he was related to and uh, you know all kinds of that family drama because marvel mm-hmm. knows what side its bread is buttered on right, <laughs> right. and we've mm-hmm. talked about drax the destroyer is actually in the 616 tied very much to thanos like as his mm-hmm. origin and to thanos's dad so we knew a bunch about thanos but we never really got an origin story which mm-hmm was fine our real big i don't want to say first introduction because he's been around for a while but our big like thanos is a problem for the entire universe was getting the infinity gauntlet we'll talk about it more in a minute which Mm -hmm. he did entirely for death and she was standing right there next to him most of the time (laughs) the story that did his origin was written in 2013 i believe uh-huh. Some 25 or more years after the Infinity Gauntlet. And that's why I don't really love all of a sudden recontextualizing all of Thanos' yeah. previous stories as to maybe he was just crazy all along or hallucinating right. all along. I mean, for one yeah. thing, it undoes a bunch of other people's stories, which, I mean, that's a little bit the nature of the beast in ongoing superhero sure. stories. But that's mm-hmm. a pretty fundamental shift. Or, right. or alternately, and now I actually really like the person who did the yeah. origin, but the other way to look at that is that they did a really piss poor job with that origin mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. you left the ending ambiguous, but we have 30 years of stories making it not ambiguous. So what are you trying right. to do? Yeah. So I, I read it. The art is very pretty, but it is not what you would call a necessary origin story by any means. Mm-hmm. Like Thanos mm-hmm. exists as Thanos, and that's what makes him interesting and important and to have all this gravitas. We didn't need to know that he was a sweet young boy that may or may not have been manipulated by the personification of death into becoming a mass murderer. Like, are you trying to get yeah. us to forgive him or not forgive him? Like, that's the thing. I don't what know what is, the whole damn yeah. point. That is, it's it's interesting. I mean, the one thing that you cannot accuse the um, the MCU or any of Marvel, the 616, any of it of being is is boring. is expected like it's all wild and even when it's doing something that you don't particularly like at least it's interesting i I agree with that probably like 80 85 percent (laughs) and the the part that i don't agree with is the stuff where i'm just like 
you guys knew you were making superhero comics. Why did you right. give me this thing that looks like it was colored by mud uh-huh. where nobody does anything interesting? I mean, there are a few of those, uh-huh. you know. Oh, they, okay. They're out there. Uh-huh. And, and, and I feel like this Thanos origin thing is sort of... It trends that direction, right? Because it's like, mm-hmm. who is this for? What is the purpose? Right. And the purpose mm-hmm. was to sell comics with Thanos in them, you know, sure. right? Mm-hmm. And and I'll say superhero fandom has partly through their own choices, but partly through the manipulation of the medium and the market. We've become very detail obsessed people. And the yeah. fact that we uh-huh. never had a Thanos origin probably sounded to somebody somewhere in the bowels of Marvel corporate like an opportunity <laughs> to make some money. Sure. <laughs> so was Thanos manipulated by death? Who the hell knows? Mm-hmm. But what we can definitely say is that he's died and been resurrected a couple of times. Mm-hmm. One of those times by death. So hmm, I don't know. Okay. Mm-hmm. And he definitely collected the Infinity Gems, and he definitely hooked them to a glove he was already wearing to create the Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And he definitely used omnipotence to murder half the beings in the universe. Mm-hmm. And he definitely did that because he was wooing the personification of death. Or at least right. that's what we all thought then. <laughs> well, but that's what he thought, though, right? So, like, he was, if she wasn't really there, he was hallucinating her to some degree, correct? Uh, that's what our 25 plus year later story from Jason Aaron would have us wonder. Okay, so so regardless from from inside Thanos's perspective, that's that's what was happening. Like he was doing this basically to get a girl. Yes. You know, to which my response is lots of fish in the sea, dude, you know. <laughs> uh, but there aren't a lot of fish in the sea if the woman you're interested in is a cosmic entity who personifies death. There's well, really if only that's one what of those. You require, yeah. But you know, it's a very specific fetish. Seems seems like a mixed bag there. You know. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm. I'm definitely not uh, trying to not be the kind of person that kink shames, but that seems like one that's around the bend a little bit, you know? Well, I'm not even like, like, I don't shame the kink so much as like broaden your horizons, maybe to some. You're very specific. The only way that you can have love is by killing off just, you know, gazillions of people, then maybe reconsider, you know, maybe, maybe just go without for a little while. Uh, you know, sure. But I will say, I will say, Thanos is nothing if not consistent because he is actually like a hardcore nihilist. Like nothing yeah. matters. Everything comes mm-hmm. to naught. Uh, it doesn't matter who I kill because everybody's dying anyway. And also it might make death like me more. It's it, I got, for, yeah. what it, for what it's worth. The Infinity Gauntlet is the biggest boombox that any love forlorn idiot has ever held over his head. <laughs> Outside the window of a girl. Oh, God. There's a whole bunch of stuff to be said about that. But let's go ahead and move through it. We're never going to get to the movie. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, thanks to Earth's Mm -hmm. heroes, Nebula and Adam Warlock. I'm not going into it. I've already said every damn thing I'm saying about Adam Warlock until we see if he shows up in Guardians 3. Okay. Mm -hmm. So thanks to all of those people, Thanos was defeated and the life of half the universe was reignited. Mm-hmm. Now, he's done a lot more stuff since then, but honestly, a lot of it is cool, but very little of it is as epic as murdering half the universe to impress your cosmic girlfriend. Right. 
So the thing is, Thanos really is spectacularly powerful, both physically and mentally. He augmented his own body to fire rays of energy, as well as to have superhuman strength, speed, stamina, invulnerability, and immortality. That mm-hmm. last one probably comes from being Death's boyfriend, honestly. I, maybe. Just, mm-hmm. you know. Well, that's enough time in the apartment. Get back out, she says, and kicks him back to life. <laughs> Thanos can also absorb and project tremendous quantities of cosmic energy and is capable mm-hmm. of both telekinesis and telepathy. Mm-hmm. He can manipulate matter and he can live indefinitely without food, air or water. He cannot die of old age, is immune to all terrestrial diseases and has a high resistance to psychic assaults. Ooh. He is also, of course, an accomplished hand to hand combatant. And he's good mm-hmm. enough to have trained the woman who would become known as the most dangerous woman in the galaxy, Gamora. Uh-huh. He trained her. So he's, you know. Above average, right? Right. He has knocked Galactus the world eater off of his feet and has fought Odin himself to a standstill. Mm -hmm. And Thanos is actually really fun to read most of the time. He's Mm -hmm. arrogant. He's evil. Even when he's trying to be a good guy, Mm -hmm. he's always the smartest guy in the room. And he is very willing to let everyone know it. <laughs> He's one of the few villains with a massive ego to whom that's not a handicap because he actually earned it. Mm-hmm. But in the big picture, I honestly find him a little bit boring, I guess. I mean, uh-huh. where do you go after killing half the universe? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Is he perhaps, I don't know, overpowered? <laughs> uh, that is a conversation for a future episode. And the answer is absolutely not. As we, we see in this very film, <laughs> right here in this movie, we see he's exactly powered enough that he needs to do to do the thing that he's supposed to do. Well, yeah, we'll have that conversation in a different context somewhere else. But anyway, what I'm saying is that sometimes that shit gets boring, doesn't it? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, in this case, he can't the... escalate because he can't escalate from where he's been. So it's always going to feel like a bit of a disappointment. Is that what that is? It isn't that he can't escalate. It's more that we never really let anybody ride off into the sunset in superhero comics. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So even when they've been written to have the most amazing ending ever, Mm -hmm. somebody still has to come along and fuck with them. (laughs) Right. And and there is a certain amount of like, how many times can he get the Infinity Gauntlet again? You know, like it isn't that you can't find more stuff for Thanos to do. It's that that was the perfect thing for Thanos right. to do. Mm-hmm. That success was the perfect success for Thanos. And his defeat was the perfect defeat for Thanos. Mm-hmm. A character with that level of power and gravitas deserves an actual ending. Mm-hmm. And he can't have one. He just can't. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's that's really the problem significantly more than the power level, because the power level let him do the thing that was so great for his character right. and for that mm-hmm. moment in time. But that lightning is not going to get caught in the bottle ever again. So. <laughs> right. But I guess if that had been his ending, then mm-hmm. I wouldn't have been able to see Squirrel Girl kick his ass. So, you know, small favors. Okay. <laughs> All right, let's talk about these children of Thanos, shall we? Oh, sure. Yeah. The so-called children of Thanos are better known in the 616 as the Black Order. Mm -hmm. They were created by Jonathan Hickman, who is exceptionally good at that cosmic shit. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. with help from Mike Diodato. Uh-huh. They kind of cameo once first, but their actual first appearance is in a book called Infinity Number no. One that hit stands in October of 2013. Uh-huh. They are Thanos's heaviest of heavies and were sent to Earth to collect a time stone in the Infinity miniseries. Does it sound familiar? <laughs> the thing is, I kind of think they might be meant to be a joke. Oh, yeah? Well, I mean, they're very dangerous, and they Mm -hmm. carry a lot of weight in the story. Like, they bring Mm -hmm. a lot of danger and narrative weight. But they're called the Black Order, and their individual Mm -hmm. names are the Ebony Maw, Mm -hmm. Corvus Glaive, Proxima Midnight, and Obsidian Cull. Uh Uh-huh. That sounds like the name of a black metal band and the title (laughs) tracks from their first four albums. Fair enough. Fair right? Enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Hickman is a man who understands how to make that cosmic shit work. Not just mm-hmm. work, but sing like the stars themselves. Mm-hmm. So if he chose names that sound like a third-rate X-Men ripoff published by a brand new comic company in 1992, where everybody has a lot of pouches and all the panels cut off their feet, <laughs> then I think he did it on purpose. Huh. And because it kind of is what would happen if you chose to see Thanos as, you know, metal. Okay, so a little bit of information on each of the members of the Black Order that made it into Uh this film. Because not quite Uh all of them made it into the film. Yes. So you have the Ebony Maw, right? Mm -hmm. In the comics, this cat is just superhumanly persuasive. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's actually his power. Okay. I'm thinking mad telekinetic skills and a soft, soothing voice evangelizing the fact that Thanos is going to murder you and half your planet is a little more interesting a take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But that said, the 616 Ma did essentially talk Doctor Strange into being his double agent just wow. by chatting it out. So, you know, <laughs> maybe I'm focused on the smoke and I'm missing the actual fire. I don't know. <laughs> Secondly, you've got Cull Obsidian. He's mm-hmm. the dude throwing down in Central Park with Spider-Man and, you know, all that jazz. Mm-hmm. This kid got a bit of a name glow up with his entry into the MCU because he's a giant hulking beast who goes by the name Black Dwarf in the 616. Oh. Mm-hmm. Now, that's a reference to Interstellar Phenomenon because there's another member who didn't make it into the movie whose name is Supergiant, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And, of course, we've got... Proxima Midnight, and you, yeah. you know you've got you've got some space stuff going on there. Right. But nevertheless, Black Dwarf, not a great look. I'm not sure yeah. how that one got out of the door, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and he's basically a brick when it comes mm-hmm. to his power. So cool to look at, but not that interesting, right? He yeah. did his job. Mm-hmm. He did his job. Mm-hmm. Corvus Glaive. Oh. I got to be honest with you. I'm embarrassed just saying that out loud because it sounds like a character that I would have been very, very excited about if I'd heard about him when I was in eighth grade. Right. (laughs) Sure. So Corvus is a master strategist and an expert hand-to-hand combatant who has super strength, reflexes, durability, Mm -hmm. and endurance. He's also immortal as long as the glaive that he carries remains intact. Ooh. He can throw it and recall it with Mm -hmm. a gesture. He is married to a badass warrior woman named Proxima Midnight, who is also Mm -hmm. a member of the Black Order. Mm -hmm. Also, much to my surprise, he's Thanos' favorite. 
Wow. Yeah, he's actually the leader of the Black Order, not the mm-hmm. Ma, as you would mm-hmm. assume watching the MCU. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's all cool, but he's still a man who named himself after his weapon, so that's kind of questionable. But also, <laughs> Peter Gunn and Thomas Magnum are real cool-ass names, so what the hell do I know? <laughs> And lastly, let's talk about Proxima Midnight. Proxima mm-hmm. is basically Corvus Glaive, but a woman. Really? All right. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's the deal. Although her weapon is way more powerful. It is mm-hmm. a spear made from a star trapped in a quantum singularity by Thanos himself. Well, okay, then. It somehow, thanks to the vagaries of time and whatnots, Mm -hmm. is able to exist in her spear as both like a healthy sun, a black hole, and uh, I forget what the other thing, you know, comic (laughs) book nonsense, red giant something. A lot of energy, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Now, look. Immortality, as long as your blade isn't broken, is cute. It's cute. Uh But a fucking star trapped in your spear? (laughs) Why isn't Proxima the leader in the favorite? And I'll tell you why. Because patriarchy. (laughs) I have a thought. This film has me in a very science fiction mindset. And I'm wondering if maybe we should all stop thinking about traveling at the speed of light and instead Mm -hmm. create an engine that moves at the speed of patriarchy because that shit seems to be everywhere (laughs) we go as soon as we get there. Yes, it absolutely is. But uh, but I like that. I mean, I like <laughs> Proxima, I have to say, because I'm assuming Proxima was like the horned, you know, lady from this one. Is that Proxima? Uh, Proxima is the only obviously female presenting bad obviously guy. Obviously female. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. yeah. In the uh-huh. whole thing. Right. You know, she's got those weird horns. Um, but we didn't really get a sense of her. Like, it would be cool to get that. The only one, I think, out of... Out of Thanos's, you know, like group of bad guys that actually stood out in the movie, I think was um, was Ebony Maw. Was the Maw? You know, who yeah. was who was the talker? You know. But anyway, we'll get to that in just a minute. Let's go ahead and open up with our production history. Avengers: Infinity War was released on April twenty seventh, twenty eighteen. It was written by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, who you might remember from such classic hits as Captain America: The First Avenger, Thor: The Dark World, Winter Soldier, and Civil War, and were showrunners for the Agent Carter TV series, which. We enjoyed very, very much. Um, so, so they're kind of like the classic Marvel writers, um, and and they they do a good job. I like their work. Yeah, they know what's up, and we're going to yeah. talk about it here. They get teamed up with a directorial duo that so that like that foursome is basically I would trust them with almost anything. You know, yes, anything Marvel, yes. they can do it. Yes. The other half of that foursome are the Russo brothers, Anthony and Joe, who also directed Winter Soldier and Civil War. So they do work really well together as a team, these writers and these directors. Um, and they're really, really fun to watch. I think the the work is fantastic. Whatever complaints you might have about any of these movies, they are freaking beautiful. And they're wonderfully, visually wonderful. Yeah, that's true. I mean, yeah, yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And the nice thing is with the same team is coming back for the sequel, Avengers Endgame. So we're going to get to have that discussion again. Um, Infinity War became the first Marvel movie to crack $2 billion at the box office, but will not be the last. Of course, we'll talk about that also when we get to Endgame. Um, <laughs> so many things that <laughs> so get picked up here and not put down again until Endgame. Goodness. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's only it's only getting worse. Um, Infinity War has an 85% rating with critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 91% score with audiences. So overall, I think fairly well received, both critically and, you know, with this with the average audience member. Although the audience seemed to like it a little bit more than the critics. And and I actually have a guess as to why that might be. 
Oh, well, um, do tell. I, I well, have also okay. a snarky guess. I No, my guess actually isn't snarky, but at the same time, I'm not sure that it's right because it requires like a... You know, like an understanding, I think, of of storytelling enough. Like, I think that in the end, um, when I first saw this movie, right, I was like, wait a minute. They didn't beat Thanos. <laughs> like, what the hell? It's not over. What happened? Right. You know, and I mean, I'm a narrative expert. I know that the protagonist does not have to win as long as the conflict is resolved. Yeah. So once I had a minute of sitting there in the theater, like, what the fuck? How did it go to black here? Like, you know, we didn't bring everybody back to life. Like, what's going on? Um, I realized that they did. They had a central narrative conflict, which, of course, mm-hmm. was Avengers versus Thanos, save the world versus destroy, you know, 50% of it. Um, and that was a conflict that ran all the way through. And then they lost. And I've been telling students forever, your protagonist does not have to win in order for the story to be narratively legit. The conflict just has to be resolved. The antagonist can win. That is perfectly legit. Mm -hmm. So even Mm -hmm. I had a moment, you know, knowing that (laughs) I had a moment in the movie theater where I was like, what the fuck? I want my money back. Like what? You know, Um, and then realized, no, it's it's a legit complete story. And I actually really did appreciate what they did. I didn't appreciate the fact that I had to wait like a year to find out like the second part of that story. Um, That pissed me off, you know, but but it was a complete and legit resolved like narratively. It's completely on board. So I think, though, that it can be really hard coming out of that note you know, on this like on this movie to appreciate it from that perspective that it was a complete narrative and not be like, God damn it. <laughs> they killed yeah, Spider-Man. They right. killed Spider-Man. They give me this moment with I don't want to go. Oh, my God. Which Monsters. is horrifying. It's Monsters. so awful. Um, but the thing is, though, that like I think that this movie I actually quite enjoyed the timing of our watching it um, for everybody listening things are Good moving night. so fast we are recording yeah. this on March 18th uh, there are a lot of things going on in the world right now which I think um, has, you know echo this storyline a little bit too closely for for our comfort um, it's been a very very stressful week this is the beginning of when most people have been ordered to go home work from home all that kind of stuff and, and the world seems to have changed quite significantly so uh, discussing this at this time is very difficult. By the time this episode actually goes live in April, I don't even know what the hell the world's going to look like then. Uh, so it might be difficult to listen to. <laughs> if it is, I apologize. Um, it's a little difficult to talk about right now, but we're going to because we got a job to do. So we're going to Goddamn professionals. That's right. <laughs> That's right. This big, dumb superhero movie is not going to dissect itself, friends. Exactly. That's true. You must keep on doing what you do. So um, as I was watching this movie, um, I, I kept going back to like, we've talked so much throughout the course of this podcast about superhero stories being about identity. And I think that mm-hmm. the individual superhero stories like are about identity. You know, we have can't uh, can't be a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man if there's no neighborhood, right? That's all about Peter's identity as Spider-Man, you know, when he risks everything and goes off into space, you know. Um, but... Now I'm watching this whole thing on this much, much grander scale. And here we have Thanos, who is doing everything to the point where he sacrifices, I mean, the one thing that he loves. I guess you could say maybe that that's Gamora. I'm not really sure that there is 
a lot of textual evidence for that, but apparently it must be true or he wouldn't have gotten the Soul Stone. Um, uh, hey, I may have mentioned they probably should have started shoring this cat up sooner. Yeah, because he was just, I mean, when we first really saw him, it was Guardians of the Galaxy 1, where he just had this crazy, you know, Ronan the Accuser running around being evil just for the sake of being evil. And that's all you see of, of Thanos at that time, you know. Um, so all you see is evil for the sake of being evil, completely flat, nothing interesting. Now, now all of this that he's doing... Um, is interesting. We're going to get into like the the philosophy of of Thanos in a minute, um, but it, it really seems to me that when we're talking about superheroes, we really are doing this meditation on power and the nature of power and what it does to people, right? Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of questions that that posed in Infinity War that are that are really interesting. If you don't think about the, if you could just snap your fingers and double the resources, why don't you do that, you stupid fucker? You know, like, that's that's the one thing where you're like, yeah, you can't really say that Thanos is trying to make anything better for anybody. He's just coming up with a, a reason, oh, I think, because yeah. he wants to murder people. Let's... Let's come back to the philosophy of Thanos and stick with superhero. Yeah, because I have so many feelings. I'm I'm very curious about that. I think that's a really interesting discussion. But okay, so sticking with the topic that we're on right now, right? Which is (laughs) are are all superhero stories basically about power? You know, because it's it's sometimes these stories are, you know, evil power doing evil shit because evil. You know, that's not terribly interesting. Um, I would argue that Thanos, for all of his blustering, um, is exactly that. You know, like I said, we'll talk about that in just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, but all of these stories ultimately come down to the battle for power. And in the end, the pursuit of power by the good guys to prevent the bad guys from doing bad things with their power breaks down to the essential question of power is always going to exist. And we want to believe that the people who wield it and the people who win are actually good, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And in Civil War, we asked this question, right? Do we trust the government to control the Avengers' power? And of course, <laughs> that answer should be no. Absolutely you know? not. Yeah. Right. But someone has to control it. I mean, it's either the individual Avengers, you know, coming together as a group to decide that they need to do something or some bureaucratic overseer. And I think we would rather have it be the individual Avengers because we believe in the ultimate goodness of the Avengers. Well, most of them. So we want that power. We want that power to be in their hands because they are people we can trust with power. Right. Which to me reads as fantasy because you can't trust anyone with power. People are dicks. But in this fantasy, we have essentially gods, right? These superheroes who are who are basically gods, who are worthy of their power, made worthy of their power, which if you think about it, are stories that we've been telling back into mythology. The idea of gods whose power is earned. Now that power is earned through, you know, whatever the values are of the culture in which those stories are being told, you know. But we want, we have this fantasy that we want to believe that if somebody's got to have power, that there are good people who will use that power well, who will use it to protect those without power um, and use it to keep evildoers in check. So essentially, our superhero, and I'm asking you as the expert, right? (laughs) Our superhero stories about this fantasy of quote unquote good power. Well, I would say, let's say kinda, okay? Because I wanna, I wanna push back mm-hmm. on some of the suppositions you bring to the table. Oh, definitely do, because I'm just, I'm just. This is just the thought I was having. I have no idea if I'm onto anything here. 
So one thing I want to say is that I do actually believe that there mm-hmm. are people who, when they receive some measure of power, will use it in a way that is beneficial to others. Like, I'm not mm-hmm. so cynical to believe that... That all people are dicks? That every single person in every single circumstance is always a dick, right? In fact, yes. one of our favorite old saws is power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Mm-hmm. But there's actually a school of thought pushing back on that that takes a look at a, a lot of things. Like, I am mm-hmm. not I'm not going to go wildly into this thing like because I'm not an expert. But basically, mm-hmm. the idea is that what power actually does is show who you were all along. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that that is both a fundamentally more optimistic proposition for the real world, you know, yes. mm-hmm. and and I think that. And that's what I think first, because people who know me really well might think that the thing I'm about to say about superhero stories is why I believe that about the real world. But actually, it's very they they mix. They mix. Yes. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's a more optimistic and true approach Mm -hmm. to the real world, honestly, because we've all seen somebody right like a Mm -hmm. teacher. Like you can say that's limited power, but we've also seen teachers be power. Yeah. Yeah. And we've seen Mm -hmm. teachers ruin children. Right. So let's also say that there are teachers who have made all of our lives better. Right. Or Mm -hmm. or our parents, you know, and not everybody has had good experiences with their parents, you know. Right. But Mm -hmm. if you did have a good experience with your parents, like they had the ultimate power over you forever, you know, for the for for your entire life, as far Mm -hmm. as you were concerned at the time. Mm -hmm. And. They still fed you and loved you and took care of you and put you to bed and patched Mm -hmm. up your scratch, you know, all that stuff. So with that in mind, I also think that that more optimistic approach to the world also makes a lot of sense in terms of superhero stories, because Mm -hmm. you do see people get powers Mm -hmm. and immediately decide to go be bank robbers or kidnappers or world beaters. You know, Mm -hmm. you also have a admittedly minority who get powers and become their best selves, or at least they're trying to, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, so I want to push back against the idea that it's always about keeping power out of the hands of bad people necessarily, because sometimes Mm -hmm. it's putting power into the hands of good people. I think Black Panther, the movie Mm -hmm. falls into that. Uh, T'Challa is a work in progress and he would admit that, but he is still, I mean, look, his dad said it. It's hard for a good man to be king. I fucking hated T'Chaka for saying that because Mm -hmm. I think that that is the refuge of a man who just decided not to try to be good and instead just decided to be a king. Mm-hmm. So I say all that to say, yes, I do think that superhero stories are largely from a particular perspective because they're about mm-hmm. a few things. But one of yeah. the things they're very much about are the disposition of power, because mm-hmm. bad guys want to take the power and do something yes. terrible with it. And the good guys who have more power than the average person would like them to not do that awful thing. So absolutely, mm-hmm. it's a question of power. But I also and I'm going to take a breath after this and let you actually <laughs> respond. But all of this comes together, right? Uh huh. But part of that is also... A thing that I say that upsets some people, but I say this real, this is my actual real world philosophy. It's also like every single thing you do is political, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not necessarily partisan, but it's all political. And the reason I say that is every decision you make is about the disposition of power. Either Mm -hmm. you have it and you're doing something with it or you don't have it and you're working around that or you're trying Mm -hmm. to get it. And that's Mm -hmm. not a value judgment. I'm just saying every choice you make is Mm -hmm. that way, right? So. 
I guess if I'm okay, I'm okay with superhero stories being largely about disposition of power because I think that's what your real life is about. Mm hmm. I like that. No, I think it's it's really interesting because I've always been um, very focused narratively on the individual stories, you know, mm -hmm, like the Hulk mm -hmm. story or the Iron Man story or how uh, Spider-Man, like how these work with identity. And I think that at the individual, when we get to that granular level with each of these characters, we are very much talking about their sense of identity. Who are they? Yes. You can't be the friendly neighborhood Spider-Man without a friendly neighborhood, you know, which I think speaks deeply, deeply to Peter Parker's sense of identity as Spider-Man, which I really, really love all of that. Um, but when we pull out to this like broader lens, you know, um, that that we always end up in this um, in this very, very kind of um, exaggerated power play. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. Um, and and I think that that is a really interesting um, kind of thing that we always are going to end up coming back to, especially with these you know, superhero stories where everything is, is, you know, extrapolated out to this, like, you know, hyperbolic, it's all, you know, way dialed up to 11, because that allows us to see it, you know, to right. see all of these things moving more clearly to kind of like really put them on a stage where that is what is happening. And that's what we're thinking about. And when it comes down to it, it is truly about power. And Thanos had plenty of power on his own, but then he has to go and chase after these, you know, these infinity stones to have the power to do this one thing, to just like murder the hell out of so many people and claim it was for the ultimate good. You know, mm -hmm. um, which I think is a really interesting kind of study on the the power of the personal narrative, because very clearly everybody says, why not just double the resources, asshole. Right. And that is such a simple, you know, idea. But he has this personal narrative that he's holding on to, that he's going to make things better. And that's what allows him to murder people when really what it's about is he just really wants to murder a lot of people. And he's making some kind of noble excuse for it, you know. Um, so I find that really kind of an interesting thing that we're doing with Thanos, which made him much more interesting than he was, you know, in Guardians of the Galaxy, where it's just this space rock guy who was saying, you <laughs> right, know, yeah. Go get yeah. me this thing, you know. Um, so I don't know. And I mean, I I do tend to be, I think, a little more cynical, uh, definitely than I used to be. If we'd had this conversation, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it would have been completely different. I would have been like, no, people are essentially good, you know. Uh, I no well, longer let's not really go believe too far. that. <laughs> I, <laughs> I no longer necessarily believe that. But I do believe that some, there are people who do get power and use it well. Now, when you're talking on this smaller scale, you know, um, some I think the amount of power that a person has also will will allow who they are to show up. Like here, Thanos has all this power, right? It allows him to show up as a mass murderer, that that is his thing. <laughs> like, I mean, mm -hmm. he already showed up as that, but it just brought it to a greater scale. Um, so the, the ways in which you are an asshole <laughs> will definitely be, you know, amplified through the greater amount of power, the more power that you have over more Absolutely. and more people, you know? Yeah. Um, and there, and so the, the tip, the tipping, the asshole tipping point, which I believe is, of course, an academic idea, right? The asshole tipping point is like wherever your asshole tipping point, the higher it is, the better you are, right? If, sure. if you can get more yeah. and more power and not turn and not tip into an asshole with it, um, then I think that you're that's a better person. That's a person who's, you know, who's genuinely here for the greater good. And those are the people who should have power. Um, but the people who want power 
are people with typically low asshole tipping points. Yes, I'm going to trademark that. That's my idea. I just came up with it. Um, <laughs> so the lower asshole tipping points, I think those people are more motivated to get power um, than necessarily the people who should have power. Usually the people who don't want it. You know? Um, I mean, that's definitely a widespread idea. Um, I have accidentally found myself rereading the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy increasingly oh, yeah. misnamed trilogy. And I mean, yeah. that's a huge part of the first couple of three books, you know, mm-hmm. um, is finding the man who runs the universe. Yeah. And and then they discover some things. If you haven't read the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy series, please do. I'm not going to ruin it here. But just to tell you, I am accidentally reading something that is also speaking to these matters right now. Yeah. You know, that's how mm-hmm. fundamental I think that they are, you know, to us. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that this is a thing that I also believe about real life and about superheroes uh, mm-hmm. that I think factors into this conversation about power. And I've said this before. So this is this is not new. Mm-hmm. But. You are good if you do good. Yeah. Right? And I think that that's really important for the superhero story because you have done this, uh, like you were describing it as sort of, um, uh, I I usually talk about it as like they're metaphors, right? Like we're externalizing internal conflicts. But I really like your mental image of just like what we're doing is blowing it up so we can really see all these intricate pieces and how they Mm -hmm. move. And some of that intricacy is lost, right? That's another reason that I think that these are, by and large, should be thought of more like aimed towards younger people, not expected mm-hmm. to hold all of the the same realistic weight, you know, that we would yes. expect of things mm-hmm. because it's that blown up thing. But doing good is when you're good. And yeah. I think that's really important for superheroes because Peter Parker gets power and then mm-hmm. he most of the time does good, which means yeah. that he is most of the time good. Mm-hmm. Thanos gets power. And it never occurs to him to do something different with it than what he had already planned to do because Mm -hmm. he is evil because the things he does are evil. Mm -hmm. And I mean, did he he actually had good intentions? You know what your intentions are worth? Fuck all. Because you murdered half the galaxy. Like, did he have good intentions or was he just creating a narrative to 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 have an excuse to kill a lot of people? Okay, we don't have enough information about him for me to like make a definitive textual argument at all. Yeah, and that's yeah. I, mm-hmm. I don't want to harp mean, yeah. on that, but that is an think, ongoing problem. I don't think there, is. Don't right, think there is textual support either way, really. You know, but he is calm and he is mm-hmm. reasoned, and mm-hmm. I noticed that. I, I remember somewhere along the line, someone described him as the Mad Titan, but it, it wasn't recently, and it didn't mm-hmm. catch on. That's a comic book thing, right? Like, yeah. everybody just thinks mm-hmm. he's he's crazy. Um, mm-hmm. But he does not act like he's not angry. He's mm-hmm. he's very calculating. Now, yeah. none of this says that, that he didn't create a narrative for himself. He obviously right. did, because we all do that, right? right. But I do yes. think that the beginning of his narrative was... I had an idea to fix my home planet. Mm-hmm. Nobody liked it because it was too hard. And look right. what happened. I lost and so did my people. We lost mm-hmm. our entire planet and possibly his entire people. Like it's not yeah. like we hear about any other Titanians. Yeah. You know? mm-hmm. And I think that there is a germ or a seed that is a good intention there mm-hmm. that was allowed to sprout into if you'll pardon me borrowing from the shadow, bitter fruit. Yes. (laughs) The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. And that Mm -hmm. is a crime against nature and a crime against xenomanity. It's not just us. It's all the, you know, Mm -hmm. um, 
And so it, I do think, I really do, with what little we have, you know, to go on, I do think that he started from a well-meaning place. It was just that his well-meaning place was always oriented on a really evil, dangerous In a dark direction. So did, did it just never occur to him to just double the resources? If that was his problem. So here's the argument that I would make, right? Is that by, well, there's two things. I have a genre argument and a character argument. Okay. 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 The genre argument is he's the villain. Do you know how you know he's the villain? Because he's doing evil shit. (laughs) Right. But his narrative is I'm doing this for the ultimate good. He sacrifices the only thing that he loves. And I guess because he got the stone, we have to textually believe that he did genuinely love Gamora. In In his own abusive, terrible way. In his own abusive, terrible way. Which is not okay. I think that's I think Gamora is a really good like micro picture of what I'm talking about, you know, with his bigger motivation is that he's convinced himself that this is what loving someone looks like. Right. And so he believes he loves Gamora, whereas Gamora, who has experienced actual family now and Mm -hmm. actual community is like, nope. You know, and Mm -hmm. I and I have to tell you that if I were writing this as kind of like a like an O. Henry short story superhero Mm -hmm. thing, he would throw her off the cliff Mm -hmm. and it would be like, nope, sorry, guy. Yeah, you're wrong. You You didn't didn't actually love her. her. Yeah, that's terrible for this story. Right. But I think we'd like that ending better from a certain perspective. I think I think it makes more sense because the the truth is that from uh, from an objective perspective, if you look at him and his expression of, quote unquote, love, that that's not. That's not love, but to him it is. That to him that sacrifice was very meaningful, even though the way that he loves is incredibly toxic. Yeah, but yeah. is it is it or is it not love? You know, I mean, it depends. You know, just because it's not loving doesn't mean it's not love. You know, in its own in its own twisted way. Um, I have so, to tell you, yeah. I'm really glad that you and I are finally having this conversation because you have this conversation with Noelle on your Buffy yeah. podcast, Still Pretty, all the uh-huh. time about <laughs> vampires. Yes. And you've done it a little bit with Dr. Uh-huh. Kelly Jones on your Angel podcast, Still uh-huh. Dead. So I've now plugged the cra- I didn't just assume everybody knows everything. Oh, right? Thank you very much. Yes. You guys have these conversations all the time and you make me fucking crazy. Because you want these vampires who are soulless monsters to be able to love one another. And I'm like, nope, soulless monsters don't know what to tell you. You no, know? they can love. Okay, they do so within they that knows. world. Boom. This is no, but that was just my argument. That was just my <laughs> argument was that Thanos can love. Because because it may not be loving. It may not be healthy love in the way that we perceive actual love. And because Gamora has that, she can't see that his love for her is also genuine. This is the argument I'm making. I don't know why it's, we're fighting It's genuine. Over this. Okay. Because it's genuine but only from his perspective. Only for him, yes. Which I think is the yes. thing that... Uh, now, now, if I were the one, we're talking about cosmology in the MCU and who the actual hell knows, right? <laughs> right. But if you're asking me, then I'm saying to you, I would say to you that like love that centers me mm-hmm. isn't really love. And now, now there's always some portion. We're not... Nobody's perfect, right? We can't mm-hmm. ever entirely get out of our own ass. Right. Mm -hmm. So there is no person that I have ever perfectly selflessly loved. But Mm -hmm. there are people that I'm trying, you know, (laughs) and that and 
And I do most of the time, right? Like mm-hmm. what you do is what you are. And mm-hmm. he's never tried. Now, yeah. I don't know what the universe thinks love is, right? Because mm-hmm. now we're in some real metaphysical shit with well, power and time and soul and mind and all that, right? Because what power is it that hands him the soul stone? Is that is that the universe making a decision or is it the soul stone that decides the sacrifice is, is powerful enough is yeah. there a difference between those two things? Because right. the infinity gems have been established as fundamental parts of the universe. Are right. they sentient? Do they have opinions? Or mm-hmm. are they just raw power to be grasped? And if they're raw power to be grasped, then somebody else hid the soul stone. Who did it? Why? We have so many questions. <laughs> and how And how the hell did it decide Red Skull should be the guardian of the Oh, I think that's stone. punishment. I think that's punishment. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that decision was penitent. He is there forced to tell other people how to get something he wants desperately and can never have. And can never have. Right. But something made the decision to apply that punishment to him. And what is that? I mean, that indicates that there is an absolute arbiter of right and wrong, Mm -hmm. an entity of some sort that is an absolute arbiter of right and wrong that that decides that this is the punishment that Red Skull has to have, but also decides that Thanos should get the Infinity Stone because the sacrifice of the thing he loved, even though he could not be loving, toward that thing, toward that person, Gamora, right? It's, yeah. It's, you get into this stuff, it's weedy. It's real weedy. Yeah, yeah. You know? But mm-hmm. that's, so, kind of, anyway, that's why I would say that there is sort of like a kernel yeah. of altruism and a kernel of, like, he looks around and he sees families and 616 mm-hmm. Thanos grew up in one, you know, mm-hmm. more or less. Yeah. He hates his brother. He hates his dad. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that kind of stuff. His brother deserves to be hated, by the way. I hope I never have to talk about Star Fox because he's fucking gross. But <laughs> I hope you do, because Star Fox. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's a handsome devil. Emphasis on the devil, but not oh, literally, man. which makes it worse. OK. <laughs> um, yeah. So anyway, he looks around sorry, and can see what love is like. <laughs> I was working on it. I'm sorry. Star Fox is Star Fox. I got distracted by Star Fox. Okay. Now that's something else entirely. I believe that is the uh, porn version of the MCU. You know, I'll tell you what. It's not as different as you'd like it to be. Someday we're going to talk about Star Fox. Okay. Star Fox definitely fucks. Okay. So does Thanos. I'm just saying. Okay. <laughs> I didn't want to know, but I know. Okay. Uh Okay. So my point being is that Thanos can look around and see from an outsider's perspective what family and community and love looks like. And he tried to make that for Gamora and Nebula. He's just a twisted evil thing. And so the version he makes is twisted and evil. Now, who is deciding that that makes it okay for him to get the soul stone? I do have legit questions. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah. I I have have questions about that. But, but But that's why I say... Both things are true. One, mm-hmm. he did start in a place where he wanted to make things better, mm-hmm. but he was so myopic in his approach and so disdainful of any other opinion that mm-hmm. eventually, by the time he has the power to actualize it, it never could have occurred to him mm-hmm. to give. He could only take. Ooh, interesting. 
I like that. All right. Well, on that note, I'm going to transition us into the uh, into <laughs> the, the philosophical. next philosophical question. <laughs> right. We got another one. I got I got them all lined up, man. All right. So um, we we come back to this on the good guy side. We come back to this idea, right? That we that we have Cap actually textualized with we don't trade lives, right? Yes. Which is followed right up with the argument. Well, you traded your life for everybody else's life, you know. <laughs> so yeah. we have all of these, and and coming from Cap, who said to. Uh, to Tony, you know, in in the first uh, Avengers movie, right? Um, you're not the guy to make the sacrifice play. Mm-hmm. You're not the guy mm-hmm. to put your life on, down the line on the line for everybody else. And we see Cap do that a number of times, even to the beginning before he was Cap. When you know, as we little Steve Rogers, he threw himself on what he thought to be a grenade. Yeah, you know. Um, so so I find it interesting that we have this very deep. And, and and like passionately held philosophy of we don't trade lives, except that we do all the time, but only if I'm making that decision for me, then it's okay yes. for me to trade my life. Yes. But Vision was making that decision for himself. It's just that he couldn't do it by himself. He needed to mm-hmm. ask, you know, Wanda to do it for him. Um, so I find it really interesting. We also have this, you know, Gamora wanted to trade her life to protect the universe. Right. You know, Mm -hmm. so she tells Peter to to kill her. Right. Um, And then, you know, we have um, we have Peter who honestly, okay, through the whole thing, like Peter Quill is just 100 percent. You know, like I can't stand him. But the one moment when he has the gun and he was actually going to shoot her. I mean, Thanos troubled it, but he pulled the trigger and I was like, all right. You know, Peter stepped up. And did what she wanted, you know, even though it very, very much wasn't what he wanted. It was what she asked him to do. And I was like, all right, maybe there's some hope, you know, for Peter. <laughs> well, then we ruin that, don't we? But yeah, that's a we whole... do, because then he fucks everything else up because he's Peter. But anyway, um, so so we have this whole thing. We don't trade lives. You know, Civil War, you know, was about this philosophical difference. But then it became about Bucky. It became about mm-hmm. one life, you know, and what Cap would do to to save that one life, to redeem that one life. You know, no matter what, everybody is salvageable. Everybody can be saved. Um, and I think Cap deeply believes in that, you know. Um, so he goes through everything in that to... Um, Uh, You know, to save Bucky. We have Strange, you know, giving up the stone to save Tony, right? After he said that he wouldn't, right? You know, kind of, kind of. I think that's the weakest link in your chain. But as far as we know at this point in this movie, yes, that's what he did. Exactly. Like with, with our current knowledge set. You know, later on, we figured out we kind of get a sense of that, too, because he also saw all of the possible outcomes. There's only one way that wins. So he just does whatever that is, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I get that, you know. Um, So every individual life matters. This is the philosophy that that we are coming down on hard, that the good side, the good guys believe that every individual life matters. And that's just that we don't trade lives. Right. Yes. so I find it interesting because it brings you like philosophically. And OK, and as I start talking about philosophy, understand that my expertise <laughs> in philosophy is lost the good place. And my daughter who studies philosophy, like I don't know <laughs> anything about anything and everything I'm talking about is coming straight out of my butt. Although I did know about the trolley problem before 
uh, before the good place. But anyway, brings us back to this like essential trolley problem, right? Where you have this as a thought experiment in philosophy where, you know, you have this trolley that is barreling down a track, right? There are five people on the track and you have the power to hit a lever and switch it. And then it'll go on a different track where it's going to kill one person. So do you choose that it kills five people or that it kills one people, one person, right? Um, so in that circumstance, like, what is the right and moral thing to do? Mm-hmm. Um, and when you come down to it, it's like, okay, well, it kills the five people. I didn't do that. But if I switch the lever and it kills the one person, then I did that, right? Interesting. But if you, have, you know, but if you have the power to switch it, then you are making that choice. No choice is still a choice. Yeah. No choice is still a choice. Um, so I find this whole thing, I mean, it, it, it becomes the essential problem of the power question. Whether you act or not, you have the power to choose what you do. So if you choose to act or not act, you still make that choice. Again, great power, great responsibility. Uh-huh. You choose who lives and who dies. Which one life is so important? You know, like this this idea that we don't trade lives, that, you know, that the one life in front of me is the one that matters, but all of the others, as I make the choice for this one, there are all of these others that end up in, in play because of that choice. It's almost, you know, debilitating to think about it. Like, what do you do? Is the answer that there just is no answer? It's okay to sacrifice yourself, but never anyone else under any circumstances. And Wanda, in the end, right, chose to destroy the stone, trading Vision's life for everyone else's. And by Cap's, you know, estimation, we don't trade lives, that would be the wrong thing to do. And in the end, she goes through all of that, does that thing, has that experience of killing the man that she loves. And then Thanos just rewinds time and does the thing anyway. I think it's an interesting philosophical question. And honestly, I I mean, generally, I think that the safe thing is if you have two options in front of you and Cap is saying one thing and anybody else is saying something else, (laughs) go with Cap. (laughs) It's true. Yeah. Chances are, chances are that is the moral choice. But what what is I mean, is it essentially what it comes down to is whatever you do, you've just got to try. You know, you've got to try. You've got to try to save every life that you can knowing that you cannot save all of them and any choice you make is going to is going to have repercussions right that one feels the most right to me mm-hmm. mostly mm-hmm. because it doesn't give you an actual rule to follow it gives yeah. you guidelines yeah. which i think is part of cap's problem when he says mm-hmm. we don't trade lives it's like you've right. clearly done that before he yourself did it. yeah mm-hmm. and but it but it's also can be a question of Uh, perception, perhaps, Mm -hmm. right? Captain America, in the cockpit of the ship, looks around. There Mm -hmm. is no one there but him, right? There's one way for me to save all of New York. Mm -hmm. I got to ditch this thing and trade my life for all those lives. Because there's literally, looking around, no other option. Nothing else to do, yeah. Now, Mm -hmm. when you look at this, the stakes are infinitely higher right yes. but mm-hmm. at the same time you have a group of people who are standing around saying there are things we can do you know yes. and so from that perspective i i really understand where captain america is coming from when he says mm-hmm. that when he says we don't trade lives he says we right don't, right mm-hmm. versus and, and i think he would also say i don't trade lives but he would say i will trade mine 
you know, exactly. like, mm-hmm. because the minute that you decide it's OK for you to start trading lives, yeah. you're a villain. You're yeah. a bad guy. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, at any point that you have the power to not do that thing, but you sacrifice somebody else instead because mm-hmm. the, you made that choice. I don't want to say every single time because but but I mean. Yeah. Most of the time you're sacrificing other people instead of yourself. You're probably yeah. not the good guy. You're not yeah. the, the the stalwart at that point. Mm-hmm. You're saving yourself in some way. Right. And I, so anyway, I, I think it, it is a really meaty, difficult question. And mm-hmm. the fact that circumstances matter and that your particular point of view matters mm-hmm. because Steve feels very deeply for Wanda, I think, especially yeah. after what happened in Civil War. And he's yeah. going and, and it didn't even occur to him that he would ask her to kill the man she loves, right? Yeah. I'm not doing that. You yeah. know. Um that there were some let's say there were some ancillary requirements mm-hmm. to vision sacrificing himself that Captain America and many other people were not okay with. Mm-hmm. You know? And right. I think that feels right. It also feels right to me when things are ended. They are as bad as they can possibly be. And Mm -hmm. Wanda decides to help Vision lay down his life to save everybody. That's also the right choice. The right choices were made at both times, even Mm -hmm. though they are diametrically opposed to one another. And that's pretty awesome, considering this is a story about a giant purple alien with a magic glove fighting a living World War II veteran and his indestructible shields, right? <laughs> no, I mean, it's pretty awesome. But also, like, I think that the, the thing that you hit on, though, is the context of the moment, right? At the moment where Cap says we don't trade lives, there are other options. There are lots of powered people in the room. There are things that you can do, right? And at the moment that Wanda finally makes this choice, you know, there are there's nothing else to be done like they tried everything else yes exactly exactly and she is doing what he asks her to do you know what he is asking her to do Mm -hmm. um and and it's you know it's it's an interesting reflection you know because it's it's very it's similar in a lot of ways to what gamora and peter were doing of course but peter fails and his gun turns into a bunch of bubbles because fucking quill because of course it does um, because he's ineffectual in everything. Even when he he's... is, but for once, it's not his fault, right? Yeah. He did make the right choice. He but did. He hesitated. Uh-huh. If he had not hesitated, maybe it would have worked. Maybe not, because Thanos yeah. was Thanos talking had all that and power. Knew, mm-hmm. And also, Thanos knew exactly what Gamora yeah. had planned. He raised her, and to a certain extent, put most of the thoughts in her head in mm-hmm. her head. He mm-hmm. already knew. Right. So maybe his hesitation didn't matter, but we can't deny the fact that Star-Lord hesitates and that costs them that opportunity. But I think he made the right decision, too. I do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mostly because Gamora was saying, you promise me he didn't make the decision. She made the decision and he was just actualizing it. Exactly. Exactly. And there is that selfless love mixed in there, too, because he was prepared to to do grievous harm to murder the yeah. person that he loved ostensibly what the fuck ever star lord i can't handle it but you know what i mean right. like in the context of that scene right he was ready to trade not trade that's not fair he was ready to sacrifice yes. the person that he loved most because she said to do it yes. and hurting yourself to mm-hmm. help someone else even if that helping also hurts them in this particular specific instance is pretty selfless stuff so for once star lord makes the right call of course when given the next opportunity 
He does not. Well, and the funny thing is, is that I was going to say even a broken clock is right twice a day. Uh, but he's not it's he's true. not even a broken clock that's right twice a day. Like he is a clock that is made to function like not a clock. He you flashes know? 12. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. But you're like, is he's, it a.m. or p.m.? Yeah. You know, he's it's just kind of right. <laughs> God. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, of course, in the end. He fucks it all up because he can't yeah. he can't control himself. You know, um, they were this close to getting the glove off. And then he just makes a mess of everything because Quill, you know, because that's what he does. Um, but uh, but overall. All right. So now we can move into like the less thorny. <laughs> we have spent a lot of time having these really interesting discussions that I think are at the heart of what make Infinity War really fun. But I mean, I have a question like, how, how do you like this movie? Do you like it? Okay, I do broadly mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. this movie. The thing that I can't help but think, and I think this twice as hard about Endgame, honestly. Yeah. So we'll we'll have possibly this conversation again. But the thing that I can't figure out is, is it actually good, right? Uh-huh. Like, is it good? Because it is an animal unto itself. Mm-hmm. No other movie ever has had to carry the kind of water that this one does for yeah. all these years and all these other narratives. All of, or at least many of which were quite happenstance in the moment, mm-hmm. as we've discussed, mm-hmm. you know. Right. And this mm-hmm. one's supposed to bring them all together. It, I mean, think about it like this. Empire Strikes Back had to do this after one movie. Right. This one has to do an Empire Strikes Back ending that satisfies 20 plus movies. Right. Right. It does mm-hmm. it. And I mm-hmm. largely enjoy the ride, you know, while I'm on it. But I do have this honest question of, is it any good? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't even know is. what metrics we would use well, to right. figure it I out. Mean, it, is, it is definitely like a, a, a one of a kind. <laughs> like I don't think yeah. another movie in the history of, of movies has done what this one has done. And are there missteps like here and there? Sure. You know, yeah, um, absolutely. But overall, like, I think that it is, um, I think it's really, really good. I think it is very, very hard to follow. Um, I think there are a lot of details. Like I stopped this movie. I don't know how many times to be like, <laughs> okay, how the fuck did this happen? Did we see Wanda and Vision get together? No, we did not. Did we see how he got the stone off of Xandar? No, we did not. Like there's all this presumptive knowledge mm-hmm. within this movie that I didn't have. And I was like, and not to mention the fact that we come off of Ragnarok with Asgard as a people, not a place. And then yeah. this fucker comes in, we open up and he's destroyed what's left of Asgard. You know, Um, Lonnie, I'll tell you, that is the cardinal sin of Infinity War to me. The cardinal sin of Infinity War is how many other movies endings it undoes with a hand wave. Yeah. I'm not sure that there's another way to do it, but I don't like this way. I don't think it's fair to the endings of a lot of other movies. Yeah. That Infinity War just changes them just because it needs to. Because it needs to, because we're raising all of these stakes. Mm Because we open up, you know, with him and Thor and Loki and Heimdall, you know, we lose Heimdall, we lose Loki. These are pre-snap deaths, so they are deaths. Although, again, within the Marvel Cinematic Universe, with anything related to Marvel, death is always in, you know, in stage quotes. Um, It's a soap opera problem and it's a superhero problem. There you go. I've actually decided to see it as an opportunity instead of a problem. And you know what? That's okay. No, it's okay. (laughs) If If it brings back Tom Hiddleston, it's okay. Um, because that is a death that I'm not going to, to easily get over. Um, but, you know, but I, I we open up in this, you know, 
intense moment. It feels like it's in medias rest. We're in the middle of action. I have no idea what the fuck has happened. This, you know, the last time we saw Thor and Heimdall and Loki, they were on the ship with all of Asgard, with the heart of Asgard, what was left. And now all of these people are just dead on the ground. And here's Thanos in the middle of this thing. You know, um, it's it's a bit much. And you're trying to catch up with it all the time. So I think it's really, really hard. Like, how did Red Skull get with the soul? So am I supposed to know this? Was, I, was this in a movie? Half the time, <laughs> I don't know if I saw the thing that like trying to keep track of everything that happens in these movies is crazy. So uh, uh, the thing that's difficult with Infinity War and, and a particular problem to Avengers is that they are pulling in so many things that you may get. A, a line of dialogue or possibly even a look or a hand wave that's supposed to give you like the information that you need. And if you miss it, it's gone. Like you just basically thank God for the internet because I have no idea what the hell is happening in most of this movie. So as I'm watching it, I stop, I ask my question. I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> People are just presuming because they're like, well, I guess that happened in between movies. I'm like, all right. So I didn't forget anything. So at least I know there's that, right? You know? Um, and so it's very difficult to follow in that way. But I think that there are some really, really good emotional moments. There are some, I mean, the, the Wanda and Vision relationship, even though I didn't know that that had been a thing until we got there. And I was like, oh, were they together? Were they together in Civil War? I don't remember <laughs> that. That's because, no, they were not. Um, but I actually moon really... They I were really, making moon eyes at one another yeah, in Civil War. A little bit, yeah. I don't know. There was so much going on in Civil War. I couldn't really. But um, but I did like, you know, I liked his his little glamour, you know, his little human glamour where he's yeah. talking to her. And um, and it was, it was really nice. I liked that moment. You know, they're fighting together and, uh, you know, and these, these horror you know, Ebony and whatever coming after him. Um, but the moment that I love, I mean, that is dark and beardy cap coming through the dark being like, <laughs> I will fuck your shit up. And it's so great. <laughs> I also really approve of Mr. Mom Cap. I'm a big uh, it's fan. It's not Mr. Mom. You're... All right, friends. Here's a look behind the curtain. Lonnie <laughs> loves that everybody gets beards and gets gritty. And every time I, I see a superhero with a beard allegedly getting gritty, I really just think they're Michael Keaton in Act Two of Mr. Mom. Like, they're going to be fine, you guys. They're just having some stuff. They'll no. be okay. No, I'm sorry. Dark and Beardy Cap has been inside this cap since the end of the first Avenger when he's beaten up on the uh, on the, the fighting bag. I don't know what they call that. Um, and, and Nick Fury comes in and they have that conversation. He is he is in that dark place. Yeah. It is just starting to take over. And so now we are seeing this. I love this whole moment where he's like, I am not looking for forgiveness and I'm way past asking for permission, man. I want that, like, you know, crochet shade on a pillow or something you know <laughs> um it's just it's wonderful i love this whole thing i am super 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 into dark and beardy cap also super into dark and gritty thor um thor in dark the beginning, and depressed thor Dark oh and my depressed Thor. God, no. Oh my god. Rage and vengeance, anger, loss, regret. They're all tremendous motivators. And he has none of them. I mean, like, yes, not as does. motivators. No, no, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, not as motivators. They are, in fact, demotivators at that point. Like, oh, he is yeah, he no, is a deflated person. Like, when he, he says is, they're all tremendous motivators, I mean, clearly, like, he is trying irony. to yeah. he's trying to make an argument. And you can tell by the, the tone in his voice that he's like, <laughs> no, this will be good. Sure. You know. Who um, are you convincing, kiddo? You I know? love yeah. Thor. I was sad that he got his eye back, though. 
I don't like, like that move either. Yeah, yeah, I wanted him to. I like the patch. I like the 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 loss. I like that it reflects his father. You know, yeah. and that he can he can maybe be better than his dad was. You know, who had yes. the same loss, and um, and so I didn't want him to get that back. And also because it it sort of sends this message that like, oh, he's not. He can't be a whole hero if he doesn't have both. Yeah, fuck yeah, you can. Yeah, it's you bad. Know? It's bad. Yeah. Um, so, so I didn't particularly care for that. That was the one thing I didn't really like um, with Thor. But everything else. Well, I that's in my list love. of things that get undone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I don't like it. The eye. Uh, yeah. Stormbreaker is really mm-hmm. cool, like has a cool sequence making Stormbreaker and yeah. then the arrival mm-hmm. and all that. But it's also like you literally just found out that your power is internal and you don't need a weapon. And now you've got to go get a fucking weapon and you got to get an eye to do it. And we don't yeah. get to watch Wanda and Vision fall in love. We're just supposed to take that as red. Xandar right. is literally destroyed off screen yeah. when saving it was the entire point of the first Guardians exactly. movie. Exactly. Yes. That is that is the Infinity War greatest sin. Mm-hmm. I did want to speak to your confusion, though, because <laughs> I lo- no, this is beautiful because uh-huh. that feeling that you have, yeah. it's kind of neat. To me, mm-hmm. that you got that feeling from the Avengers movie that comes at the end of 10 years of other Marvel movies, because the feeling that you have is exactly the feeling that I have every single time I try and read a giant crossover event in superhero comics. Aha. Uh-huh. Every other book has their own story going on and they're chugging along and you basically get it if you're yeah. reading it. Right. Mm-hmm. And if you're kind of paying attention, you kind of like know over there kind of what's going on you don't know the details but you got the shape of it right Mm -hmm. and then they have these big crossover events which have to ramp up to Mm -hmm. the friggin moon in three pages no (laughs) and then get everybody together to do something about it and are there really cool like character beat moments and stuff in between Uh there absolutely i Mm -hmm. to this day i love a moment when uh wally west the flash and kyle rayner the green lantern meet in the ultimate justice league fight Mm -hmm. of this run this long run and they're like boy it always seems like we just meet on the stairs on the way to the apocalypse you know and i was like that's how we feel too you know it is it's kind of crazy and so you like you're like okay i kind of know what's going on but i feel like i'm missing a beat did i not read it or did they just skip over it so in a way it is very I guess in one hand, it's very vindicating. And in the mm-hmm. other hand, it's very like, oh, look, they they made this bespoke thing for you that up till now, yeah. <laughs> only comic book nerds could enjoy, you uh-huh. know. Um, or could experience yeah. at any rate. Or experience. Yeah. Let's go yeah. with experience. <laughs> experience. Well, no, because most of the time, I, my presumption is always, oh, I forgot something, you know. <laughs> and so yeah. when I look it up, then I'm like, oh, okay. So it's 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 a mildly gaslighty feeling for me. Um, like they're like, oh, well, this thing has happened. Did you not know that this thing happened? <laughs> well, clearly <laughs> right. there's something wrong with you. And then I look it up on the Internet and everybody's like, no, that nobody saw that. That didn't happen. We didn't. Yeah. See that happen. Man. I'm like, all right, all right, whatever. Um, but there's okay, so back to Thor, because I'm because I'm I'm not done. Um Oh Thor, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> I apologize for derailing the Thor. Yes, go on. I'm just saying. Like, okay, here are the thing, like everybody who's been through this with me has seen me like hate the shit out of Thor for so long. I mean, Thor just annoyed me. But now we have this, you know, this guy who's lost everything and is trying to deal and has lost Loki. 
you know, which was the mm. last thing. Heimdall and Loki were like the last things that he still had. Now, and he has this thing too, where he's like, well, uh, you know, I've got nothing left to lose then, I guess. If I'm wrong, I've got nothing to lose, you know which I really like, you know, from him. And he's still fighting. And I actually like Stormbreaker because while his power was not in the hammer and we had him, you know, he recognized that. Um, being able to, like, deliberately, rather than drawing his power on a hammer, he is deliberately externalizing his power through a conduit, okay. through mm-hmm. this this axe, which, unlike a hammer, which is, you know, dull on both ends, right? This is really sharp on one end and there's something about that sharpness that I feel like it really it you know because I mean let's face it Thor was dull on both ends for a while you know <laughs> <laughs> and are you okay oh my god, oh my god. that's fantastic <laughs> That's you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Do right. go on. Go and on. And so now we've got Stormbreaker, which has that sharp, you know, that sharp part that is going it's to got cut. An that edge. is going yeah. to be effectual. But in order to get it, you had to go through. Like he, in order to get that that sharp edge on himself and that sharp edge on his weapon, representing that, like he had to go through the trials, everything that he had to go through. So he's gone through all of this stuff and still comes out fighting and I. Think and I love fucking God of Thunder raining down and just being like, I have had enough of this shit, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I really love that. I love dark and beardy Cap. I love dark and gritty Thor. Um, I love dark and, and beardy Peter Dinklage, you know, Itar. What, what was his name? Is it Itar? Itri. Mm-hmm. I so love I him. almost did four color facts about mm-hmm. Itri. Oh, yeah. And forging hammers. The mm-hmm. reason I did not is because I suspect I'm going to have a lot of opportunity to talk about everybody's various and sundry hammers in uh-huh. Thor 4 Love and Thunder. So I just I put it in my so. back pocket because uh-huh. it didn't feel right for this episode, right? But yeah, yes. that was a very unexpected uh Peter Dinklage just killed it. I mean just Yeah, Peter Dinklage this big, kills ridiculous everything. concept. Yeah. There yeah. is nothing you can give Peter Dinklage that he will not fucking nail. And he has this wonderful, like, I mean, you know, Itri has a, and I'm so sorry I forgot his name. There's so much stuff happening. I can't remember yeah. all of it in this movie. Um, but the thing about Itri is that you're there for with him for two seconds and you feel that pain that loss like everything and then you know he has this opportunity to like find himself and we reignite this light in the middle of all of this desolation which to me like on the symbolic level is such a great moment you know it's such a huge thing and then here is this guy who has this one thing in life that he does and is able to do that again and then we get this beautiful moment from teenage Groot you know, where like they don't <laughs> yeah. have a handle for it. So he reaches for it and then chops off his own fucking arm, which is badass. I mean, okay, granted, he grows it right back in the next scene. He's got an arm. But it hurt. But it hurt. It was a sacrifice. Yeah. And he did that. But he did that and it was badass. And I really, really loved that. You know, and I love that that sacrifice is is in Stormbreaker. That Stormbreaker is not this perfect, you know, like Mjolnir was a little bit, you know, shiny. You know, Stormbreaker's got grit built into it, you know, but I think it's a real fighting axe. And I just, I kind of love it. I think I've spent way too much time talking about the fucking axe, but I just, I I actually really, really like that. Your 
you're convincing me that there mm-hmm. might be more going on than just undoing stuff and making things we can sell as toys, which is exactly. basically what I thought about Stormbreaker most of the time. However, I can completely see that. And I can't, I really can't talk very much about this because we try not to spoil things. Right. But let me tell you that after Endgame and mm-hmm. then again after Love and Thunder, I am going to have more thoughts about Thor's overall arc, I feel. I think, yeah. We're going to have to see where it goes because Endgame is also an interesting discussion to have. Yeah. And this isn't an ending. In mm-hmm. fact, in fact, if things go the way I kind of... I mean, broadly think that they might. This is actually Thor running away from his newfound mm-hmm. sense of self yes. and going back to something familiar because everything else was taken away from him, which I understand as, an, as a reaction to the trauma of losing all those people. Right. But also as a character arc, that's a step backwards. That's a step towards immaturity, not towards <laughs> being the best you. Right. Um, although, and, even, actually, and even getting I, a big fuck off axe could actually yeah. be could factor into that. Right. Like, well, a hammer didn't work. Let's get something with an edge. It sounds could. like teenager yes. stuff or, you know, like yeah. coming of age stuff all over yeah. again. No, it really, so, really does. It really does. I got a lot of Thor feelings. And I got we'll a lot talk of Thor feelings. Them. We got to wait till we're done. Like once we get to, to love, is it love and thunder? Is that what it is? Love and thunder. Love yes, and ma'am. Thunder. Once we get to that, I think we'll be able to say for sure which way that went. But I think that, I think that we both have a point and that it could go either way yes. at this point. Yes. Uh, you yes. know, I think You've it really convinced could go me way. there's another point. Before yes. this conversation, I did not believe there was another point. <laughs> I before this watch, I was I was with you on the axe. It was this watch for this episode that I saw something more there. But the first There's time I watched there, yeah. it, I thought the same thing. So I don't know. I think that that's really interesting. So so Thor was really fun. Etri, I fucking love. And if they don't bring Peter Dinklage back for everything all the time i don't care they've got to bring him in he's so wonderful <laughs> and i love him i love him um if you know, some we, of the love and thunder rumors i'm hearing are true oh god they're gonna need so. another hammer right so they're well, probably gonna have to go back yeah to midvalier i don't know i hope so or i hope <laughs> they find a way to bring him wherever they whatever i don't care just as long as he's part of it um i think that that's really wonderful um i love bruce um yeah. as you know and his whole thing um here's what i love about bruce i love that bruce uh, who interacts i think probably more with tony than with anybody else is like the anti-toxic masculinity even though hulk can be you know like yeah like yeah. Uh, uh, symbolically can be the ultimate in toxic like the literally toxic masculinity right you know <laughs> um but i love i love bruce i love how unsure he is of himself i love how um how scared he is i love how emotionally connected he is and connected to his own like anxiety you know um and i love how much he keeps fighting he keeps trying to get hulk back and can't get hulk back so we have this this wonderful dichotomy of identity within bruce's actual physical body that i always love when we go back to that story so there isn't Mm -hmm. a whole lot of bruce here but what there is i feel like um like he brings this this very deep emotional anchor to to part of of this team that allows somebody there to be fucking scared like they're always pissed off or angry or you know traumatized or whatever but they don't get to be like just genuinely afraid yeah you know and that is such and that's one of the things too i think that a lot of times men are discouraged men are discouraged from having those feelings you know of being Mm -hmm. afraid of being um you know being sad you can be damaged 
you know, because of your trauma, being actually like, you know, having that moment of, of sadness and fear and, and uncertainty. And I don't know if I can do this, you know? Yeah. Um, and I like that we get to see that, that in Bruce, you know, without it being a joke, without it taking anything away from his masculinity, and then see him fucking come out swinging. There's this point where he says, fine, if you're not going to do it, I'll do it myself. If you're not going to yeah. come out and help me, I will make this happen. And he fucking goes in and knocks it around. Um, I, I love all of that from him, especially because Bruce, given the choice, would always rather not fight. But he mm-hmm. always does, you know. Um, so Bruce, I got to say, is one of the he's he's this background thing. We don't spend a whole lot of time on him. Um, but what we do, I just I love him. Every movie, I love him more. Yeah, this was a real big shift mm-hmm. for him. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, he went from running away from the Hulk literally yeah. 10 minutes ago right. to trying mm-hmm. to embrace the Hulk and the Hulk won't do it. And it's like, yeah. listen, damn it. How <laughs> long have you been demanding a partnership? You exactly. Know, mm-hmm. And now you won't give it to me. It's it, yeah. And yeah. I, I'm with you on him being like the really sort of soft in, in the best way, yes. uh, soft, emotional. Um, it's nice to see because I do believe that Steve Rogers gets mm-hmm. scared of the yes. responsibility that he has. Yes. For instance, as an example, but I don't think he ever feels like he can show that because he's leading these people. Right. You know. So mm-hmm. I know we know his character well enough that I believe he is afraid yeah. of how mm-hmm. things are going to go. But mm-hmm. we need to be able to see that, and Bruce lets us see that, and that is really strong, really good. And it doesn't take anything away from him, which I really, really, I love. I love. I that. mean, in fact. In fact, it gives him something as a character because nobody else is allowed Mm -hmm. to do that job. Yeah, exactly. And I like that we have him, you know, as a man and as, you know, when like with the Hulk part of him, you know, the toughest motherfucker on this group. Like, I mean, he can take a punch. Um, He can take a building thrown at him. I kind of think Thor's maybe leveled up, but yes, otherwise, hundred okay. <laughs> percent. Thor's Thor's a god, the toughest, the toughest human, maybe I would say. Um, he's 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 got it. Like I, I absolutely love all of that. Um, we don't have much uh, from our our women characters. You know, we have Widow yeah. who shows up as part of Cap's team. You know, now blonde. Right. Because after you have a breakup, you got to change your hair. Um, I, that's what a beard is for guys, too. So, you know, <laughs> um, so we have we have Widow there and she's just kind of there as part of the the, you know, um, the team. Um, you know, we get Shuri, we get Okoye, Um, you know, well, we, we get Shuri being so competent and so yes. on top of all of her area. This yes. is my area and I know exactly what to do. And she clowns Tony and Bruce along yes. the way, which I think. Think is mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. um she's pro i mean and we do get a lot of really great scenes during the fight with right. okoye mm-hmm. and uh Bl- black widow and mm-hmm. um and wanda like we get a lot of good stuff from wanda yeah. but mm-hmm. you're not wrong on the on the big picture and in the character stuff we don't get we're not as getting a much lot. from the ladies we're not yeah. getting a lot we do get I, we do get some good stuff from wanda um i like wanda's you know struggle we get gamora we get um nebula you know um and the and the love between the two of them although that is you know that has always been a complicated love between mm. yeah. uh, between nebula and gamora yeah, but I'm loving. I mean, we don't get very much Nebula in this, but because mm-hmm. I know what happens in Endgame, I am yeah. loving every bit of Nebula that we get. 
Yeah, Nebula Nebula is is fun to watch and to see her being tortured like that and what that does to Gamora. There there are a lot of moments like that throughout this movie that it always comes back to like this love. It starts in the beginning, this moment where Loki says, go ahead and kill him. And then when he's watching this guy hurt Thor, what you see in his face and then Thor's face as Loki dies. Yes. Um, you know, we see Wanda, we see uh, Vision, everybody, you know, Quill. I mean, Quill, who is useless in this moment where he has that gun <laughs> at Gamora's head. That is a really actually powerful moment, you know. Um, it's really mm-hmm. nice. He is not anywhere, like, worthy like for of Gamora, like not anywhere oh, no. close to that. Um, oh, no. You know, but she says she loves him. And if Gamora loves him, then, you know, it's it's like that. That, you know, loser that's married to one of your friends and you're always like, well, you know, <laughs> she loves him. I guess I'll just put up with him until, you know, until she <laughs> wakes up. A thing I say to people often that they don't always appreciate is, mm-hmm. yeah, you can go ahead and do any damn full thing you want. It's your life. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean it sincerely, mm-hmm. but not everybody loves that message. And I think that's yeah. the message I would give to Gamora <laughs> about her love life. Listen, uh, you can do whatever uh, damn full thing you want. <laughs> Maybe she sees something that we don't see. I don't know. But anyway, um, so we have these, you know, really powerful moments of deep connection, um, love and loss, you know, with these characters that that when it's always like this, this person that they love is at risk. And that is such that is the most powerful moment. So when you think about all of these you know, Avengers movie, think about the Marvel movies, right? You know, you're always like, okay, so it's this big, you know, bombastic, it's explosive, it's the action sequences are all over the place. But we really do get these, like, deeply connected, you know, moments with these characters. When, you know, Peter shows up in the spaceship with Tony, you know, and Tony, Mm -hmm. like, Tony is being is being a dick, but he's being a dick in a protective way. Like he wants this kid protected. You know, he doesn't want this kid in danger. And then at the end, when Peter hugs Tony, you know, and says, I, I, or I, I why do I have to go? Or I, I don't want to go or whatever. Yeah. Like, um, that is, that is deeply, deeply like the, the hardest thing. Bucky, when Bucky and Cap are reunited only like for a few minutes later to have Bucky turn into ash right in front of Cap. I mean, that moment is so fucking devastating. The Wanda and Vision thing at the end, devastating. Um, all of it, you know, it's just there's so much that is so emotionally wrecking in this movie. And I think that this movie speaks very deeply to the general theme of grief, you know, of loss. Like, of loss. Definitely it is, loss. It is yeah. really hard. I cannot get through this movie without crying like three or four times. You know, it just it so deeply speaks to, to grief. And so here we have like, you know, everybody dismisses these Marvel movies as like being just this, you know, action and all of this crazy stuff. But we've just had, you know, an hour and a half discussion on these deep philosophical issues, Yeah, you know, and, um, and like, you know, superhero stories being about power and what it says about the essential nature of power and the essential <laughs> nature of good and evil, um, that, that we're speaking very deeply to themes of love and grief and loss that our character that represents literal toxic masculinity actually has 
true, you know, fully realized emotional range, which mm-hmm. is something that has been denied to our general masculine prototype in our stories, in our culture for such a long time. Um, so while, yes, you know, Avengers Infinity War has all this wild action that we're used to, these extended action sequences, you know, all this crazy stuff going on, um, there's so much more happening in these movies that I think we need to to give credit to and speak to. And when people like these movies, the thing that, I, that annoys me is the way that it gets dismissed and that the people who like these movies get dismissed as just like the, you know, the idiotic masses. Um, there's real stuff happening here. I think there's real reasons why these movies speak so deeply to people. Um, and it's not all about just wanting to go up and see things blown up on a big screen. There is very much a place for a lack of subtlety mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. our storytelling. Mm-hmm. There's also, of course, plenty of place for subtlety. Sure. But I mean, the the fact that most of the time we would describe, especially the Avengers movies, right? Like the kind of crossover movies, we would describe Mm -hmm. them as operatic. Yeah. Because we don't, what else would we say? Right. And part of that is because opera's deal is it's not subtle. Yeah. You know what that person is feeling Mm -hmm. because they are singing it at you so loudly. Yeah. You know, with so much feeling. And and I mean, that is that is what I feel when I come to this kind of thing. It's not mm-hmm. every one of them. Not every right. one of them is made equally. Mm-hmm. But I mean, to dismiss the entire enterprise, yeah, as just big dumb popcorn fun is absolutely to miss the power that genre stories can have yes. for unpacking things like uh uh, philosophical questions mm-hmm. or grief or loss or trauma yeah trauma mm-hmm. uh, yeah yeah it's all here it's all baked into this thing and if you want to go and just watch stuff explode god bless you your money spins you, your ticket exactly. was torn and you got it mm-hmm. but if you want to sit and look for the things that are there underneath that they are also there have yeah. at them here is the feast yeah there is a lot there. So so when it comes down to it, like the question that I asked you, do you like Infinity War? I really like this movie. <laughs> I really genuinely like this movie. I think that it's very, very good. I think there are a lot of really powerful themes that it's speaking to. And I honestly am not a fan of the action sequences as anybody who's ever listened to me for more than 30 seconds on a podcast well knows. <laughs> um, that's not my favorite part. It's never my favorite part. Um, but uh, but the things that happen in this movie, um, I think, are, are, are that. They have all that bombast, you know, and all that, that wild excitement. Uh, but it also has so much more going on and deeper questions happening. And the further we go into these franchises, the more I find that we're taking the time to ask those questions. You know, yeah. that we're taking the time to have those discussions within these stories. And I think that it's incredibly valuable. Um, we are running super long. We didn't even get a chance to talk about Doctor Strange, who I loved in this. Uh, in this, I love his very loyal piece of outerwear. Um, I... <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. I'll say this. There's mm-hmm. obviously plenty more yeah. that we could say about this film. So here, I... Now, Lonnie does not know I'm going to do this. I didn't know I was going to do this until oh, right now. So exciting. here's what I'm doing for you, <laughs> especially our patrons, but also all of our listeners. If there is, you heard us. There's some big stuff we had to cover in here, but the podcast can only be so long. Mm-hmm. So if there are some really big things or character moments or questions or concerns, hit us with them, right? Mm-hmm. We're going to give you all our Twitters at the end. We've got info at chipperish.com. Just put 
Infinity War in all caps in the subject line so we don't miss it. And if we have to come back and do an Infinity War follow up because we feel like there's enough stuff that we didn't talk about that you guys want to hear, we'll do it, damn it. We will. You know what? We'll do that as a patron exclusive. If you guys want to hear more about Infinity War, we will discuss it. Uh, we will answer your questions and, and hit your uh, your topics that we didn't hit on because there's so much. I keep thinking, I'm like, there's so many things that we didn't really get a chance to talk about that I absolutely loved. But we really got to move through this thing. Uh, it is it is. Way it's not going to get any better in Endgame, friends. Oh, so, my God. No, yeah. seriously. There's just so much to talk about. But I think we hit on the stuff that I cared personally about the most. So that's what really matters. Um, okay, so Joshua. <laughs> it's our show, by God. It's our show, right. Joshua, what's your favorite part? Okay, this is really hard. <laughs> because there's a lot of really great stuff. But if I'm 100% honest. Mm-hmm. It's still a tie between. <laughs> I'm I, I'm just laying the cards on I the table. It. It's I a, get it. It's I feel a, mm-hmm. It is a tie between Shuri clowning on Tony and Bruce. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying that one first because it's the frivolous one. It's a tie between that and the moment that Steve and Bucky come back together because theirs oh. is a love for the ages. That is such a love story. I love them. That's probably the first time that Steve has seen Bucky healthy yeah. since the war. Yeah. You know? Oh, and and I was just like, they just, and Sebastian Stan smiles as Bucky for possibly I the know. first time. Well, no, he smiled I, well, before the first time, he went off to war. But since the trauma, yes. yes. Since First Avenger. Mm-hmm. Have we seen a full face yeah. smile? Like, not just a wry grin or whatever. Have we seen yeah. a full smile from Sebastian Stan on screen yeah. in a Marvel movie since First Avenger? Mm-hmm. We have not, yeah. friends. Yeah. And it was wonderful to see. It was. Um, it was really great. Those are my two. It's the best I can do is get down to two. Lonnie, what about yourself? <laughs> all right. Um, I have to say, I think, okay, again, I've got them all tied as well. Uh, <laughs> but I think for me, like, the big thing is, is Cap dark and beardy cap coming out of the darkness and being like I will fuck your shit up like that I absolutely which is subtext that's not actually what he said um, <laughs> what he said is I'm not looking for forgiveness and I'm way past asking for permission which by the way had to take a moment had to take a moment there um, also like you know dark and gritty beardy Thor I absolutely love um, Thor going through all of his transformation considering how much I am not a fan of early Thor like how much I love Thor now speaks to what they've done with this character which has just been amazing um, and then Peter Dinklage as um, as Itri I absolutely love him so much and he delights me to my soul every time I see him in anything he is he, just something about that guy I freaking love him um, so it's really really wonderful um, I love all of the things i love the deep philosophical questions but i gotta say i'm not looking for forgiveness and i'm way past asking for permission i think i think dark and dark and broody cap dark and beardy broody cap is my is my guy (laughs) i'm not gonna lie it's pretty hot it's pretty hot it's pretty hot All right, if you enjoyed this conversation, would like to join in, come find us on Twitter. I am at Lonnie Diane Rich, and Joshua is at Joshua Unruh, and the hashtag is Listen Up, A-Holes. This episode of Listen Up, A-Holes was brought to you by the Chipperish and Pulp Diction producers who support us on Patreon at the power producer level. These people are the reason why Listen Up, A-Holes is coming to you free and ad-free right now. Yeah. So thank you to our April producers, Sarah, Shelley, Kristen, Kevin, Alice, Erica, April, Abigail, West, 
and Jonathan. Thank you, producers, and to everyone who supports Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions. This message is for you. All right, kid, you're an Avenger now. To find out how you too can support Chipperish Media or Pulp Diction Productions, our Patreon links are in the show notes. Other ways to show your support, write a great review on Apple Podcasts, tell your friends about the show, or don't look for forgiveness and be way past asking for permission. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of Listen Up A-Holes. We'll be back next time with our discussion of Ant-Man and the Wasp. Until then, Thanos is just the latest in a long line of bastards, and he'll be the latest to feel our vengeance. Fate wills it so. It's a fighting bag. It's a boxing bag. What is it? It's punching a heavy bag. bag. It's a punching a heavy bag. bag. It's a punching bag. Where he's beating that up one's on the punching bag. a heavy bag, though. Oh, it's a heavy bag. I don't know. It's a bag. Because there's smaller ones, too. It's there's a, a speed bag. It's a bag that you punch. Where yeah. there's the little one. Anyway. That's a anyway. speed bag. Okay. We're, we're spending way too much time on this. I'm cutting um, all of that out. Nobody <laughs> needs to know that shit. All right. Let me do that.